Hello and welcome everybody to this new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. I'm here, Aurélien, with my co-host Glenn and Darcy. The topic for today are tenant and more specifically tenant stories. So uh, we're going to share about uh, our experience with tenants, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and there might be some uh, precious lessons to, to be learned from that. Darcy, would you like to, um, to lead the way? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, overall, the first thing I get when I'm at a cocktail party or for dinner or meeting people for the first time, they say, you know, what do you do? And I say, well, I, uh, I usually lead with, you know, uh, my partners and I, we buy broken buildings, usually buildings in distress, and uh, we renovate them. We fix them up. We make them, you know, first safe and habitable and efficient. And, uh, you know, I give them the, the quick, you know, this is what we do. And then we refinance them and then we eventually make them aesthetically attractive and, and uh, profitable for our partners. And people go, oh, yeah, yeah. And then the, invariably the next thing is tenants. So I bet if you get five dentists in a room, they'll hear dental stories about the worst dentists ever. And I then get to hear about the worst tenants stories that people come up with. But I would have to say, you know, 99% or better of my tenant experiences have been absolutely positive. These are good, normal Canadians. I uh, just want a quiet place to live. And I provide that safe, quiet, habitable, attractive, um, and good value. And then most people are, are fine. But every now and then, you get people that give you fodder for cocktail parties and stories to swap of outrageous behaviors. And we've had a few of those. I um, you know, some of them you can avoid perhaps with better management of working on that, but other times you don't know what's going on. I've had some crazy tenant stories, but the reasons why I love them, I'll put that up front because I'm a positive guy. Um, tenants pay down your principal. They rent a spot, they pay principal, and they allow you to be in this market. They're, they're my primary customers. So when I am asked, who's your customer, my investors or my, or my tenants, I toggle towards tenant. I say, I'm going to satisfy my tenants first. And that lesson I learned from Danny Meyer's book. He's a New York restaurateur. Um, and his book's called Setting the Table. It was maybe the best business book for uh, landlords. And it has nothing to do with landlords. It has everything to do with fine dining and meeting expectations of a customer. And he's remarkable. It's a fantastic book. My wife recommended it to me. Um, so my tenants pay down my principal. I love them. I love them for that. Most of them are low maintenance. On the first of the month, they hand over a check or cash or an e-transfer. Um, and they tell me ways that I can improve my building. They say, this drawer glide is wrecked. I got a leaky faucet. I got a leaky. So they even tell me how to fix my building. Uh, some people call those complaints. I call those Intel data, how to fix my building. Yeah, That's a good way I know. Of thinking of it. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I see Glenn's laughing, but you know, my <laughs> managers hate that. They say, I just want the money and, you know, give me the rent. I'll give you the receipt. Let's get out of here. But I tell them, wait wait a minute and get it to a check like a restaurateur would, like a waiter would come up to the table and say, and how are the first bites of your chicken sandwich? I asked my guys to ask them, how is your tendency? Is there anything we can fix? Because a building with good drawer glides or with the you know cupboards that close and toilets don't leak is better than one that doesn't have that. And I want the better building. So they're, they're just helping me out. So I yep. love tenants for that. I also love them because they keep their eyes on my property. They, they look out their windows. They walk the property when I'm not there. They're there 24 seven. And they are my security force. They're my first line of security. They complain about noisy people and garbage and pet poop and all the things that degrade a building. My tenants tell me how we can improve the building. So for all those reasons, I love them. 
However, and every now and then. I like what you're saying with the communication too, with the tenants, right? Because um, by having that communication, like tenant turnover is one of the most expensive things besides, Brutal. yeah, besides like capital expenses, but like it, that is, it'll, it'll eat you up. Um, mm-hmm. And by having these conversations, um, there's an open dialogue that you could, you know, solve problems before they get to a point where they want to leave and go somewhere else. And CMHC says the average length of tenancy, rental tenancy is 14 months. I have lots of tenants that have been there 25 and 30 years. So that average is skewed towards those unhappy people that stay 90 days or six months where you break faith with them, either in service or something didn't work out or the thing was explained to them wrong or the product was not a good fit. I mean, we're in the, we're in the retail business in a certain sense and there has to be a good fit between what they want and what you're selling. And when it doesn't work, they leave. Glenn's right. You want to satisfy tenants. And that's why I toggle towards tenants. Yeah, and Ari, yeah. Ari's having me read that book, right? The, you know, the, that commercial real estate book. And uh, the, I think I'm on chapter seven right now. I was just <laughs> nice and fresh in my mind. But they were talking about like losing some of these big ticket, because um, this is all commercial financing. Like, so yeah. uh, uh, one of those cornerstone stores that's in your thing. And sometimes it was just uh, a simple conversation that had to be, they, they didn't get paperwork for a lease renewal. So they just went and found somewhere else to go. And sometimes yeah. it wasn't that they were even unsatisfied. But if you had an open dialogue with the tenants, you, it, some of these problems are very easily solvable yeah. and save you a lot of money. They're happy. You're happy. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely. My first deal is to solve tenant problems. Yeah. It's so costly. You're right. It's a, it's brutal turnover costs. Every unit has to be cleaned. They all least leave junk behind. Every unit generally needs at least a coat of paint and the baseboards done, carpets cleaned, all the cabinets, drawers washed, tiles regrouted and sealed and vinyl dap everywhere to make it look fresh. Um, maybe you're upgrading or updating broken blinds or twisted blinds. You know, you're easily at $3,000 per turnover. You just can't keep doing that. And if a simple conversation with your tenants gets you out of that jackpot, that's a win. You really may t- need to make that call. Um, you know, I, get, I suppose the salacious weirdo stories are, you know, I'm dealing with a fellow right now. He called me last night at 11 o'clock my time. So he's up at two in the morning in Ontario, phoning me to come to tell me that I'm having too many uh, people of color allowed in the building. So crazy stuff. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But my tenants have my business number. I give that on every correspondence and I write a quarterly newsletter to all my tenants in every building. And my business number is on there. Uh, My manager, I want them to phone my manager first. So they phone me. That's their last recourse. So Would this be like a crazy idea to be like, hey, um, you know, technically the property management's open 24 hours, but for calls after 10 o'clock, if they're not an emergency, then there might be a bill, bill back for that time. Because, yeah. you know, because the, the, that call was, he could have done that in the morning. He could have done that any time. It wasn't that he had like, there was a plumbing leak and there was water gushing all over his floor. It yeah. was a complaint about, you know, personally, something that's completely unreasonable to start with, but it wasn't even something that was broken or uh, a high priority item. Like it was something no. was going to, that like there, I wonder if maybe it's probably, it's probably legislation that we can't bill for that sort of stuff, but. Yeah. There's no mechanism to collect it. And he'd have to have been drunk in the morning because he was clearly drunk at two in the morning in Ontario when he phoned me. So I get some drunk dials and this guy is a serial phoner. He usually phones Sunday afternoons when he knows nobody's on the phone to get it. He doesn't want you to answer. He wants to leave a message on the business phone so he can get a full three-minute run-in till the timer dings and he's out. 
So on that wide ranging drunken phone call, he talked about people of color in our building. Um, he wanted to congratulate me on the sale. He wanted to reiterate the date he moved in. Um, he wanted to complain about my manager uh, and any person born on the west side of Windsor. Uh, they're, they're, this is a direct quote. Those Westies are all liars, thieves, and liars. Liars, thieves, and liars. Double liars. That is a direct quote from last night's. Um, he calls all the time. He calls so, my bank. Well, Darcy, Darcy, would it not yeah. make sense? Like, I'm sure there's some sort of call display on this. Would it not make sense to just let that one go to voicemail? Oh, I do. It goes to my business number. So he, it goes to the business number, but I can see it. Then email converts it to text and it has a recording. Yeah. So last night, I, you know, just before I went to bed, I take a peek at my phone to make sure my, you know, those that can get through can get through and just charge my phone. And okay. I a call so from him. That, that is another thing too, that I, I've been trying not to do is to not look at a business emails right before bed, because then sometimes you don't sleep. Like, and you're, you're more like, disciplined than me. No, but I've been, tr no, I'm not, but I'm trying not to. Cause I'm like, you know, I lay down in bed. I'm like, Oh, I want to pull my phone out, but you know, let's stay away from that stuff because that's the stuff that keeps you up at night. Cause you're thinking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. If you want you want your mind to be clear. And that's like, Ari probably we're going on a crazy tangent, by the way. but like, yeah. you know, I like to do some breathing and get myself calmed down and go to sleep. Nice. Right. Uh, yep. You know, some mindfulness. Right. So, but <laughs> doing reading these emails and stuff is not necessarily the best for your own personal health. It's not good. No. So, anyway, let's go back to tenant stories. Did you have one Ari? <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. You know, in essence, we're in the business of uh, tenant satisfaction and, uh, and uh, most of the most of the behavior is uh, is good behavior that uh, I've witnessed over the years. I do the property management myself because no, uh, so there are several reasons for that. One, uh, some of my real estate is in tertiary market, so there is not necessarily um, a property management company. And the other reason is I there no one will care as much as I will about my properties, and it doesn't take that much time. So so I do it myself, and and you know we've seen collections go. For example, during uh, you know COVID, and lots of people were talking about um, when you couldn't. Uh, there was a eviction ban and people were worried, but most collections were made. So it was, uh, you know, most tenants comply and, you know, they know that they, they need to pay for a place to live. And, um, but yeah, you have those, uh, those uh, interesting stories here and there. Um, yeah, we had, we had one tenant, sorry, she's tried to take us to court now twice. The statute of limitations on her claim will run out in, I'm counting down the days in 30 days, 27 days. <laughs> um, she was a, a man in our building. I won't even identify the province or the city. A man in our building uh, probably has a bit of a record. Put an ad on a, on a board, billboard or a, a, I don't even want to name the thing, an online ad for yeah. a roommate and a quote and assistant manager position. Now he's just a tenant. He worked for us for three hours laying some vinyl floor. We paid him for his work and he split, but he had a suite and he hadn't paid his rent yet, but he immediately advertised for a roommate to share the cost and to take on a role as assistant manager. And for that, he charged her, I think $3,000, $1,800 up front. And then more when she moved in. Well, she paid him the $1,800. He wasn't even the owner. He was just a guy. She paid him $1,800 and moved her stuff in. And I found out about her because there was a u-haul trailer parked on my grass 
I said, whose is that? I said, that's the new lady in 12. Who's in 12? So I said, can you take your cell phone down the hall? My manager, take your cell phone down the hall and let me talk to this person. She said, oh, I'm the new assistant manager. I said, no, you're not. I'm the owner. I've never heard of you. She says, no, 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 no. Your guy, your manager hired me. He said, he's not my manager. He's a tenant who's only been in the building for five days. She said, no, no, no. He hired me. I said, no, you're mistaken. And I'll be out there in two weeks, but you're not a tenant. You don't have a rental agreement. You're not an assistant manager. I don't know you. You should find a place to live, but I'll look at your application when I get out there. So I get out there. She has no references, no jobs. She offered her dad as a reference. I phoned her dad and he went, oh, Ah, uh, she's had a tough life, a really tough go of it. I wrote on the top of the application, a tough go of it. I said, would you rent to her? He said, oh, you know, I'm her dad, right? I went, yeah. Mm. So I hear your hesitation. Yeah. So then I phoned her back and I said, listen, your references didn't work out. And she said, what are you kidding me? It's my dad. I said, yeah, you need to talk to your references before you offer them up. You can't stay. Well, it's a squat situation. So the provincial laws for squatting are, you have to call the police. This is a criminal matter because the court doesn't have jurisdiction on a squat. There's no lease. Without a lease, the court can't work with it. You can't go to rent court with this. So I called the police. The police are going to run her out, but it's minus 30 outside. So you can get an idea. This is not in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, it's minus 30. They say, listen, do you, then they ask her three specific questions. And one of them is, do you have a place to go right now? A safe place to go? She said, no, I've got no place to go. Do you have a place in a shelter tonight? No. So he turns to me and says, we can't, we can't uh, let her go because it's too cold. If we can't confirm she's going into a shelter tonight, we can't evict her. You're going to have to try again when the weather breaks. So now we're waiting on the weather to remove a squatter. So we try again. The weather breaks. It's now only minus four. They're allowed to evict on that when the, we called the cops, my brother was there to do this eviction. Uh, it's not eviction, dispossession of a squatter to be clear. Yeah. He comes this time. She's wearing homemaker clothes. She's baked cookies and they're cooling on the table. Cause she, because you have to give notice. Uh, the police come and they go, Hey man, she looks like a great tenant. Why would you throw a person like this out? I said, well, first she doesn't have a lease. She's a squatter. She doesn't have the means to pay. She hasn't paid. And now we're into her second month. She hasn't paid a dime rent. Doesn't have a lease. She is tech- she is legally a squatter. Maybe and the cookies are good. The cookies yeah. are nice. We didn't yeah. get a how cookie. Are the, how are the how good kind of good quality? We'll never cookies. know. We'll <laughs> never know. So they turn to my brother and Don and they say, "Listen, she seems like a good tenant. You should reach an agreement with her." I said, "Wait, you're not judges. You're nothing." Yeah. No, no, no. They got tasers and guns, and they're not going to remove her. So we have to try again. So we tried a third time, and we have finally. Um, she made an application to the rent court. The rent court says, well, we'll hear this. We had two hearings. Each were over two hours long where she is fabricating and making up information on the fly. The, the um, judge allows her, because this is a phone hearing, allows her to walk through the building looking for Wi-Fi and to resubmit documents that she's creating on a printer you can hear in the background and photographing them with her phone and sending them directly to the court when you have to have them in 72 hours before, they have to be verified. Both parties have to look at the documents. And you can hear one of the other residents in the background yelling, she's a liar. She's making up these documents. She's faking it right now. You can hear it through the phone. And I'm saying to the judge, can you hear this? He says, um, I have to give her her day in court. I said, yep, no, you don't. In the end, they agreed. There's no lease. 
no tenancy. She is therefore a squatter. We then still had to get a sheriff's order to remove her. It cost us four months of rent. And when we removed her stuff, we gave her five days to come get your stuff. Five days. We gave these four-hour windows over five days of our weekend, anytime on Saturday and Sunday. Monday afternoon, we finally got a dumpster, put her stuff in the dumpster. A year and a half later, we get a notice in court that she's suing us for $35,000. Her claim included a car, a, a purple PT Cruiser, 2005 PT Cruiser that no one's ever seen. It's just, that's in the claim. Um, her mother's ashes, uh, a guitar, her brother's guitar who's dead. Uh, everybody's dead. Uh, all these, you know, keepsakes, antique furniture, uh, 30, 30, over $30,000 worth of claim. Uh, and then she failed to show and the judge dismissed it, of course. And five months later, she sued again. Same thing. Each time though, I have to sit in a court proceeding and wait and serve notice and file my documents and then wait and wait. And she's a no show. But in between, she sends off random chaotic texts at uh, two or three in the morning and emails uh, to this claim about how we stole her stuff. Um, that is a bit nuts, but that is extreme. That is that is on the yeah. far end of my tenant experiences. You know? Yeah, I'm also a member on different, uh, you know, landlord uh, groups on Facebook, for example, and uh, you see a lot of horror stories. And um, I think it's important. I remember when I when I first started investing, to uh, I I would hear people, uh, you know, and also usually don't seek advice in your in your surrounding areas or your you know your immediate family because. Those people are not entrepreneurs. They don't like risk. And they know that one horror story, that's going to be the excuse for not taking action. So, so that's not what, what we mean today. And you, your, your story reminded me of two other stories of mine, but I'm going to summarize it in just a, a sentence or two. But I've seen my units up for rent, not, rent, not advertised by me, not advertised by the property manager. And the property manager was the one that actually found it and gave me a call. Are you trying to do this without us? Are you trying to go around us? And I'm like, no. And I, and they tried calling the numbers on it and they're like trying to, you know, and people were like, oh yeah, we'll schedule a show. And all fake stuff. So we just called mm -hmm. police and they, they took it down off of the, you know, Craigslist and stuff and yeah, fake, all fakes. The people are, yeah, that stuff will happen. So people will try yep. and rent your units out if they're vacant and mine was yep. under renovation. So there was like, they saw the opportunity, right? Their doors are often, you know, there. there's people, like if you came through and you looked professional, you could walk through and show that place around the contractors and they assume that's just a property manager. They'd let you walk yeah. through. They're busy oh, working on their stuff. Then, and they collect first month and deposit and- yep. Yeah, and they just yeah. walk away and then people come to show up and move their stuff in and they're like, we're like, we don't know. And that, we didn't get that far. But um, yeah. another thing we get down uh, in the States is squatter season. And you, you mentioned the squatter. So what happens is as soon as uh, the fall comes, uh, all the homeless and transient people try to move indoors. So some of my projects that have been under renovation, you see all of a sudden the contractor calls you and they're like, someone's in the property today. We can't, we showed up today and someone's in. And then they're like, we're, <laughs> or we're going to view properties that were supposed to be vacant to buy them. And there's people there. And the, I remember like my con people are contractors trying to bid it out. And they're like, we'll go still look it up. But, um, I don't own the property yet, right? So we don't have a call, a case for the police. So uh, they're like, I'm going home. I'm going to get my gun. 
and then I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, it's America, right? <laughs> so, never thought gonna, of that. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to get my gun and I'm going to go, I'll check out your place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll bid it out. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, it's a, uh, it was just some guy squatting in a sleeping bag on the floor and we told him to get out. And they're, they're, you know, I'm a big enough guy. I didn't have to show my gun or anything. They, they laughed. <laughs> yeah. Wow. My uh, uh, wife's cousin is a realtor in the Netherlands. And they have medieval laws still on the books that are relevant and actionable that they haven't removed uh, rights of uh, possession. Uh, the, I don't know what the exact um, Dutch words are. My Dutch is limited to food words and bad words for my brothers-in-law, <laughs> right? So, but if you leave one piece of furniture and one living plant, according to law in the Netherlands, then it is in, still in your possession. But if, however, you had removed everything out of the property when you moved and you didn't leave a, a chair, a piece of furniture and a plant, then that is vacant and it can be assumed by a person. So people look around for properties where they've cleaned them out entirely and they can move in and they have a legal right to possession. And you have to be the landlord or owners now forced to engage in a, a, a market rent with this person. So my wife's cousin says, no, no, so there's a, a trade in cheap Ikea chairs and one house plant sitting on a chair or a stool that when you move out, you leave the stool with a fern on it and the new people move in and put their stuff in there just to ensure that nobody moves in uh, in between, <laughs> between the closing and the possession. Because you can, because it's a medieval right, that people have the right to vacant suites. You know, in Vancouver, you have a vacant suite tax. Nobody can do that, but there's vacant suites that have existed in times in the past. And this is how they solve that problem in the Netherlands. In Vancouver, they just tax the crap out of it. If your suite's vacant, you just pay a high rental for it or a high property tax. That's crazy. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And in Spain, there's, in Spain, you can move into a disused property because they have a lot of, you know, Spain is a low, um, higher vacancies and a low population. The population is declining or was for a long time. So there was a lot of abandoned properties in Spain. And if you move into a property in Spain and make renovations and repairs to it, you can compel the owner to engage in a market contract with you. So he has to acknowledge your repairs and that you have an intent to enter into a contract and then make market rents with you. So a charity that I had a loose affiliation with about 15 years ago, they were doing that. They're finding broken down buildings, no roofs, doors missing and windows missing. And they would move in and in 60 days, secure the property, put doors and windows in, repair the roof and start painting it. The landlord would come around and go, hey, what's the deal? I said, well, we'd like to rent this from you. What's market rent? And they go, well, nobody's wanted it in 15 years. Uh, let's make a deal. So it worked out for everybody. You guys probably don't have this. I've never had this situation because you're in the, the more multifamily stuff. But I had one where the, uh, the tenant was the, like, became the tenant was the seller. So the person sold me the property and we're in the closing period. And they came back and they said, can we rent the house that we are selling to you? Which I actually hear is hap- it happens with commercial properties all the time, right? Yeah. Um, people like they, you know, you go Back. in and they want to have the, they need some cash to keep the business going in this way they mm-hmm. can do that. But that, that happened with me on a, a single family home I bought and they were wanting to rent it. And the reason was that they were really old and they were planning on going to a retirement home and the list changed and they were no longer at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were going to be, displaced somewhere else and they're like can we just rent from you and they had the money because i just gave them (laughs) i just bought the house that they owned in cash and so i'm like well they have the means to pay the problem was alzheimer's and i'm like and they said that 
um, the family came and talked to me and they said, the likelihood is they're going to forget that you own it and they don't. So, <laughs> so here is our phone number when you have problems. <laughs> nice, but that's a good solution. How long that's did it clever. stay? Uh, two years. And then they moved it to a different tenant. Yeah. And then they finally, wow. like, they came up and they're a super nice lady. Nothing's going to change. She's been living there for 25 years. Exact same person. I'm like, it's going to look exactly the same. Wow. And uh, yeah, they paid rent every month. And uh, we, went, we went to the bank um, because we knew they had lots of money. And we set up automatic transfers. The bank was going to do it for them. Mm. Nothing to do. So that, that's why it worked well. Yeah, it's anyway. called the lease back in, in commercial. And uh, very often, you know, it's businesses. You see that in industrial a lot where mm -hmm. you know, the business needs cash injected and prefers to uh, inject the cash into the business rather than uh, owning real estate, being in the yeah. real estate business. Yep. Well, that's good. That works out for everybody. That's and that's actually one of the reasons that um, I'm, I'm looking at commercial now a little bit, uh, just for a change of scenery in terms of tenants and uh, uh, just... Uh, so is that the strategy you're interested in? Like, would you just go around and try and find companies that own the building and just see if they're interested in the lease back? Is that what your strategy, strategy would be? That's one strategy possible, yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. Like with the, when those kind of tenants, you, they, like I said, the same thing with mine, the, the condition of the building isn't going to change. They've been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And like for commercial, those um, uh, high bay or low rise concrete tilt-ups in light industrial, that's money. The rents aren't super high, but there's their long-term leases with uh, built-in escalations because the tenant has put in gantries and crane ways and very specific industrial equipment. There's no place to move. It's hideously costly to move. So the security is off the charts. It's like getting a dentist. They have so much infrastructure in there. They're not moving. Mm. You just have to deal with them. Don't, don't make them angry. So you have fair market increases, schedule them over time so they can deal with it. But that becomes a very, very steady cash flow. Those are gold out here. If you can get them, they're impossible. They, those tenancies last forever, super stable. Uh, they're easy to finance uh, and hard to acquire because you need light industrial land, which is, you know, it needs intermodal hookups and all the other business. It's kind of a, a niche property, but they're spectacular investments, really sharp investments. And that same thing can work for, um, or for residential as well. I have like a tenant that's um, a car mechanic and they have um, converted the garage to have like, has all the lifts and everything. They've installed all this stuff, right? For them mm -hmm. to move, it's very expensive for them to move all that stuff, right? So, yeah. um, <laughs> not to go too deep in that thing, but they did fall behind in their rent and we went to do eviction. Guess what? They showed up with rent to, to not get evicted because it's, they'll yeah. find it. They'll find yeah. it because it's too much work to move. You got too much stuff in there. Sounds cool. good. Wrap That's us good. up, Ari. Thank you everybody for tuning in today. Uh, as usual, if you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a, a comment and uh, a five-star review. And uh, thank you for joining us today again. And we will see you next week. Alrighty. See everybody. See ya. And if you want to send us a question that you would like for us to cover during the show, please send us your question. Email us your question at advancedreitalk at gmail.com. Once again, it's advancedreitalk at gmail.com. Thank you.